Hi, welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato, and and this is a uh, uh, this this podcast today is is uh, it's pretty serious. Um, fortunately, there is some inspiration involved um, because of the person we're going to talk to. Uh, but I have to admit, I I, I feel I'm naive. Uh, I feel I feel stupid. You know, like um, I want I discovered something. I would say it was a couple of months ago. I, I heard, um, it was actually through Tim Tebow, former NFL player, um, he won a Heisman Trophy in college, now he's a professional baseball player. He, 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 he said his father had been um, preaching in, 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 I don't know where, in another country. And there were these girls that were for sale as he was preaching. And his dad's like, what? You know, so he, he, he bought them. He literally bought them so that they wouldn't go into human trafficking. And then they started a uh, uh, they started a rescue mission out in that place. And I'm like, what what, what are you talking? So I had to do more research. I'm like, this that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. And um, I want to ask you, you know, for those listening or watching, how many people do you think in this world are are currently are slaves, slaves, human slaves? How many people? If you guessed less than 40 million, you're wrong. 40 million people are slaves. Well, it can't be in the United States, but it is. 400,000 are trafficked in the United States. Well, it can't be in my community, but it is. It's in every community. Uh, we are broadcasting from, uh, from Western New York, and it is in our community too. And um, thanks to uh, people like our guest, um, who is uh, Julie Palmer. She is the, uh, the executive director of PATH people against trafficking of humans. I don't know who wouldn't be against that, but she's also the founder of the uh, Path Enrichment Center. Julie, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks to your team. I can't believe that you actually have to exist and do this. Mm -hmm. Am I, is it, am I naive? Am I typical of, I mean, we are worried about all these other things going on in the world and we have we have people that are being trafficked. I, I, it blows me away that, I don't know, that I out of sight, out of mind, did I not notice it? Uh, I mean, how, how normal is this, is, is my reader? Do most people, are they, I just can't believe it's happening. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I, I just can't believe we're in 2021 and people are being trafficked. 40 million people in the world. So, um, I'm, that's my question. Am I normal? Are most people unaware of it like I am? I was. Well, first off, thanks for having me on the show. It's really a privilege to be here with you. And, and also thank you for your support. You know, you guys have supported us in multiple ways financially and others, and we just appreciate that. Um, I know it's a real investment in the work we do. Um, as far as you being normal, I mean, I can't speak to that. I don't know you that well. Um, but <laughs> what I will say is it is typical that the community by and large does not understand how human trafficking is affecting it. And so we speak um, pretty prevalently. Before COVID, probably eight times a month, we were doing live presentations. Um, Post-COVID now, things have moved more virtual. Um, so we've kind of regained a lot of momentum and doing a lot of virtual. We've done a few um, small group lives. Um, but really, every time, I've been doing this work for almost nine years, so it'll be nine years in May, Every time I've spoken to a group, at least 75% of the room has not really understood human trafficking or realized it existed in the community of Western New York. So it is very typical for people to have that sense. 
Um, and to be really honest, before I started doing the work, I didn't know either. Um, my master's is in mental health counseling. It's a lot of work with mental health. And I also have music therapy background. And when I got educated, even got my degree in 2001, we did not talk about human trafficking in our education. It wasn't part of trauma. It wasn't part of mental health. So just even in the past 20 years, um, just to see how it's acknowledged, legislation that's been put in place, more work that's been done, it makes a lot of sense that the community by and large still doesn't really understand its impact. Okay, so then how, how, how did you get into it? How did you, I mean, you've been doing this now for nine years, so you were unaware, just like I was unaware. How did you become aware and what made you do something about it? Yeah, so back in 2011, I actually heard a pastor, her name's Robin Shara. She did a presentation uh, through my home church and talked a lot about the issue of human trafficking. I was there, um, was learning a lot about overseas missions and um, a lot of different things. And she did a whole uh, hour on human trafficking. And to be really honest, it wrecked me. Um, I was crying through the whole thing. And I've heard and seen a lot of trauma in my work, uh, but just never to this level. And so in my drive home, I just really remember God pretty laying it very heavy on my heart to get involved. Um, and, and really it was like, uh, well, I have no idea what I do about it. God, you know, really, um, you know, I have kids and my other career, and this wasn't really my radar, but just really kept myself open to what opportunities could come forward. And, you know, Robin had sent out postcards, inviting people to come to a coalition night. And so I attended that. And at that event, she said, I don't really have time to put in to this and kind of had started Path Coalition with a few dozen people in the faith community meeting and just didn't feel like she could grow it or um, expand it because she was full-time with her church. And so in that, she said, is there anybody in the room that's feeling called to lead? And so that's really where I had to wrestle with, you know, was this what God was putting on my heart? And was this really what he was asking me to do? Um, and so the conclusion was yes. And so in 2012, that is when I took over. Um, and really from there, it was honestly just door after door and just vision that I had received and gotten from God really to expand this work. So in that period, we became our own 501c3 nonprofit and really just developed what is our mission. And so at this point, our mission is ending human trafficking through education, prevention, and restoration. And so the education piece is very important because the more people understand it and see red flags, they can actually stop it. Um, we've had tips in the community after we speak of people calling and identifying. We just got a, we've had a few emails in the past few weeks of people, you know, getting identifying situations. And, um, and so that's important for the community to be aware, um, especially with our youth and, you know, largely now remote or virtual and they're learning and the access to the internet. So it's just a really key way of stopping it. Um, we also engage prevention where we work with at-risk population groups, and we do a lot of intervention with individuals who have had some type of assault, who have had some type of, you know, trauma or makes them vulnerable or high risk for trafficking, and we'll do a lot of work with them. A lot of, we have a youth program that does child exploitation prevention, um, providing support services, making sure people have resources. Um, and then we also do the restoration piece. And so our Path Enrichment Center, which is in downtown Buffalo, um, we work with women, men, and youth who are 
victims of human trafficking, which would incorporate sex or labor trafficking. Um, our youth program is ages 13 to 18, and then we have an adult program. Um, and so really just providing a myriad of services. Uh, our mission here is addressing people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, we just found, and just from my own background in mental health and just working with trauma, that it really affects all aspects of the person. Um, so it's beyond talk therapy, but it's really also the physical being. Um, so we do fitness classes. We'll have meals for every client that shows. We have clothing. Um, we talk about nutrition and health. We also have our enrichment programs where they do art classes, art therapy. We have music therapy that comes in and does that piece. Um, and then we have master level staff, social workers who do the one-on-one -on -one support, you know, counsel, triage, case management, linking, referring. Um, and then we have several support groups where we really look at, you know, how do they better identify healthy relationships? How do they better see value in who they are? Um, how do they navigate and cope better and make better choices? Um, how do they see if they're vulnerable at risk? And so we do a lot of work in that. Um, and then we offer the spiritual care component because that's also a lot of people's healing and offer that support for people. Um, so really trying to be a presence in all aspects of a person um, and where they're at. And some just the ability to sit down and have choice making over an art project or expressing themselves or finding ways to use those tools, coping, relaxing through music. Um, all those different components are a key part of that healing process that needs to begin. Um, we have a tutoring program with the virtual learning. So many kids are slipping through the cracks or struggling to keep up. So we have two retired teachers that actually donate their time, which is amazing. Um, we've also started a work readiness program this past few months where we're just helping women get linked with jobs, job skills, applications, um, just looking at what opportunities are available if they need to get linked with um, classes or schooling. So really just trying to take all the steps um, to help people in their recovery process. You mentioned children, another statistic that is, uh, it's difficult to think about because, you know, you have kids, I have kids, but 25% of trafficking involves children. Uh, is that true? Is that what you're finding? I don't know if I've actually read percentages, um, but I know that the last figures I read were 300,000 children in the United States. Um, you know, National Missing Exploited Children puts out a lot of statistics, mm -hmm. um, and some recently are one in seven uh, children ages 10 to 17 are sexually solicited online. The online presence has really um, just been a grooming ground for perpetrators to engage, and it already was pretty significant. And, you know, I, I remember sitting with the team in August saying, this fall, with the virtual learning, the remote, the hybrid, and the caseload has more than doubled. It has. Uh, oh, so it has. and you know, so it's hard to know. Is it COVID, right. the remote? I mean, I'm sure it's all tying in. Is it that we're growing in our partnership? Sure, it's all those things combined. But just, I would say almost every youth, it's through online, social media, um, that sort of resource uh, is just so pervasive. 
um, the ways of communicating are very difficult to follow. It's very easy for kids to circumvent parental controls on devices. Um, even the schools, I mean, just watching my kids, right. they're not well filtered. Um, you know, they can still get on YouTube and they can still do social media. Um, and just thinking about that, how many kids have the discipline to not do that on their device while they're learning, right? right. I mean, right. it's hard enough for us as adults to stay disciplined with it. Yeah. So it's just, you know, giving access to these young children to something with zero filter or limitations, that's a pretty dangerous thing. When you, you mentioned labor trafficking, can you explain that? to me a little bit more. I mean, I know what labor is, but what, how, sure. right? People, oh, there's no such thing. Slavery yeah. was outlawed. What, what do you mean? Yeah. So in the United States, it would look like fraudulent purposes of putting people in workplaces. So it could be maybe as simple as, you know, an example actually is several years ago, the FBI took down a case in Niagara County of massage parlors where a woman had somehow recruited these foreign, um, women into her massage parlor, you know, they felt indebted to her. She was making them work, sleep on the floor, you know, do different acts in the back room. Um, we also have had situations where, you know, you could, we have a very large refugee population in, in the Buffalo community. And so looking at individuals that come here, they don't know the language, they don't know our labor laws. Um, so if somebody can take advantage of that, ask them to work. We've, we've had an individual that came in here young, um, you know, early 20s, doesn't know our labor laws, not great in her language, and was approached, somebody said, oh, hey, come clean for me, and I'll pay a few dollars here and there, you know, not understanding the advantage, and, you know, calling her at weird hours of the night, and just did, you know, could tell there was something more going on. Um, we had somebody we were connected with years ago, that she came here on a work readiness program, or work study program, an international work study program, got into DC, was supposed to go um, to another state and gentlemen stopped her at the airport and said, oh no, they made a mistake in your itinerary. You need to come to Buffalo. Um, and she came here, they put her in an apartment in Williamsville and she was working at the Galleria Mall at a kiosk, um, 10 hour shifts, getting paid less than $5 an hour, very controlled, wasn't allowed to do anything else. Um, Homeland Security years past talked about uh, migrant farm and um, that, you know, we have a lot of farming communities where there was like 150 workers that were um, found who were being not paid um, the right wages, being abused, mistreated. Um, so there's lots of different forms um, that things can take place. Uh, unfortunately, if people can take advantage, they will. I remember when I was uh, researching when I first discovered and was like, what? Um, I remember reading something where they prey on women that may be addicted to drugs or maybe they, they got arrested. And mm -hmm. so they wait, they find out when they're getting out, mm -hmm. you know, wh whatever they're getting out. And then they're there for them and take care of them and uh, get them back on drugs. And then the vicious circle continues and and they're, they're back being trafficked. Uh, that was quite yeah. disturbing. We're seeing a lot of tie-in with addiction and prostitution and sex trafficking, um, a lot. And it's a vicious, awful cycle um, that's incredibly difficult to break. 
um, a lot of what will happen is they'll get addicted or the the perpetrator will get them addicted and then they're fully reliant on that, that person for their drug need. Um, they're very afraid of um, relapse or I mean withdrawal, um, just that withdrawal process and what that is. They get very sick and it's also, you know, with COVID now, even places aren't 50% capacity or, you know, there's waiting lists. And so we have people highly addicted to opioids or a variety of hard drugs. It's very difficult to get treatment or it's difficult to keep them compliant with treatment because you've got the carrot somebody's dangling out there saying, well, if you only do these few things for me, I'll give you your next um, hit. And so that is a, a terrible cycle. Um, and we see that happening, unfortunately, quite a bit. I mean, here in Buffalo, I just think about it. I'm like, uh, our, our big thing right now is, oh, man, I, I wish I could get tickets to the playoff game. You know, oh, I didn't get the tickets. You know, only 6,500 people got there. And I, that, that's their, the, outside of COVID, that's their, well, for some, that's, that's the most important issue right now. Well, I mean, yet, to be fair, it has been a long time since it, Buffalo. I remember been, watching them in the it, 90s when so they were. So do I. It has, been, it has been a long time. But then I think about these people uh, whose lives are, uh, the last thing they think about is whether or not, um, you know, if the Bills are going to win this weekend, uh, you know, it's, it puts things in perspective. It's yeah, they just want to, they're, they're figuring out whether they want to survive, right? Did you talk, I mean, it's just. Where they have uh, a place to sleep that night or not, or whether yeah. they're going to have to do some type of exploitative act in order to have a place to sleep that night. What, what I mean, I know you, you guys are, are doing whatever you can, but what are we doing about it as a society? What are, what are we doing? Are we cracking down? I mean, 40 million people across the world, I mean, 400,000 in the United States, you know, what, and you, you see it right here in Western New York. So what are we doing? What, what, or what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What can we do more of the right? How can we do more of the right things? Yeah. I mean, I think with anything in, in crime or anything that's, you know, in law enforcement, there's always going to be work. I mean, crime's always going to exist. Um, I think, you know, they, there has been a lot of strides taken and the year 2000 is really when the issue of human trafficking became more identified and labeled. And so there was the Trafficking Victims Protection Act that was um, put in place and, and what that meant. And so looking more at how we better identify a victim so they get services opposed to arresting them. And how do we better prosecute the perpetrators? And so there's been a lot of work in the past 20 years in improving that. Um, there's human trafficking intervention courts across the country in different cities. Buffalo has one. So that when an individual comes in and maybe they're arrested for something, they look at their situation and say, is there force, fraud, or coercion? Because if there is force, fraud, or coercion, then it is looked at as a human trafficking situation. And so we look at human trafficking as the recruiting, harboring, or transporting a person, usually for financial gain. So there's just a lot to look at with that. Um, you know, recruiting comes in a lot of different forms. Again, back to that force, fraud, or coercion. Um, and harboring can just mean some type of hold. And a lot of times that's manipulation. It's not always like I'm holding you and kidnapping. Right. It's I have these manipulations, um, psychological manipulation. A lot of these individuals have a lot of trauma. Most of them have had childhood abuse. They really come from places where people have not 
put value into who they are. Um, and we, our staff does an incredible job. That, that is one of our goals is you matter and you have value. And first and foremost, we care about you. The other things we'll do, but they need to know people genuinely care. Uh, because unfortunately, most people in their life treated them like they were a commodity. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the, the start of building that trust, that healing. But just really looking at that and legislation, there's also a trafficking um, victims report. There's a, a report called the TIF report. And so they look at, you know, what does it look like in every nation in the world? And they're rated on how well they're addressing human trafficking. You can Google it if you just Google TIF. TIF. TIP, TIP TIP, yep. It'll show up and it will show how nations are rated, how well they're addressing the issue, what they're doing about it. Um, and to be really frank, nobody's got an A. <laughs> Nobody mm. has an A. Where do we stand in the United States? You no, know, I don't want to say because that's been a while since I've okay. right. um, You know, they, they also in the United States rank each state. Okay. Um, and that you can look at through Polaris. They do a state ranking. And again, it's probably been a year, maybe more since I've mm -hmm. looked at those ratings. So I don't mm -hmm. want to speak on that now, but I do remember they were fairly low, like we were doing D's, C's. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's just, and again, it's rated on how well are we identifying? How well are we prosecuting? How well are we, you know, getting these criminals? Um, there's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, and these are hard cases that take a lot of intensive engagement from the staff. It's not just, you know, people want to know how many people are you serving? How many people? Well, we have a, you know, 125 plus caseload um, and it's a staff of eight. Mm -hmm. You know, think about that. Um, these aren't just like, you know, once a month check-ins. Right. You know, people we serve are able to come here every day we're open. Um, you know, we don't use insurance. It's free to them. We rely on our donorship and grants and support and other means because we didn't want a barrier for people to get treated and get as much as they need. You know, we want to be a safe place. We want to be a place where they can come as often as they need to come. Um, and so we have that support. We also offer support for children of moms. So if somebody comes in and they have a young child and they wouldn't otherwise be able to come in because of that, we have a staff that works with those children. My mom engages in services. We also offer transportation services because again, we're trying to eliminate the barriers that existed to keep people from treatment. So we kind of look at that and we look at, you know, what different ways we can help. And so we do have transportation service as well. Um, we had a donor donate a van several years ago, which was amazing. Um, and our building even that we're in now, um, we've been, our enrichment center was five years old this past September of 2020. So we're entering our sixth year. And this past year, uh, a donor actually purchased our building for us. Um, and so we have full use of this building with rent free, um, which, is, which is amazing. We were renting space before and we were outgrowing it. So now we have a two story, 6,000 square foot building. Um, and it's perfect for what we need to do, especially with the COVID times and people's concerns about distancing and health needs. We have a lot of space for that. So um, it's just been amazing, you know, in spite of all that went on in 2020 um, for society by and large, um, and in spite of, you know, we did see it decline our clients, relapse in addictions, mental health. Um, at the same time, our agency has been able to really grow and expand and offer more service and support. 
um, and just be more of a presence and gain more partnerships. Um, so we've seen some good come out of it as well. What can what can uh, our community members can they is there something we can identify? Is there something we should be looking for that we could notice and 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 call the police or call you guys and you know what yeah, what can we be on the lookout for? One hundred percent. I definitely encourage you know call local police or you can call our number which is seven one six. 601-5678. We also have a website, pathofwny.org. Um, you can reach out email or phone call or text and we will respond um, or forward your tip or concern to the appropriate people. Um, we have a lot of great partnerships um, in law enforcement and in other um, service provider community members that want to help. Um, but I would say just look out for things such as, you know, individual is being controlled. They're not able to speak for themselves. They start having to ask permission to go do things. They're checking in with somebody all the time. Um, maybe in a youth, you start to see a change in their behaviors, their moods. They're more hypersexualized. Maybe they're failing out of school, not attending. Um, if people start acquiring um, things that you know there's no way they could afford. Um, you know, we've seen individuals where they're not working, they're getting social services, we know what they're doing, and some, somehow they have a brand new vehicle. You know, so you're, you're looking at the situation as to what's going on. Um, identification being confiscated, that is a huge, huge thing we see is um, because really everything you need to do in our society requires ID. So if someone doesn't have ID, they're reliant on a person. So they've taken it from them, you mean? Yep. They've taken they've their ID and they're their ID. Yep. literally um, own them now. Essentially. Um, also phones, if somebody's purchasing an individual phone, what better way to track and keep track of everything they're doing than to have them on a phone? Um, mm -hmm. You know, somebody that you feel like is couch surfing a lot or just a very, you know, changing their demeanors and behaviors, maybe abuse signs, um, you know, not kind of suddenly change their lifestyle, engaging in unhealthy habits, or you start to see an addiction, you see um, a need to answer to someone, um, you know, living at the place of employment. Um, most jobs don't require that, you know, um, that's kind of a flag. Uh, one other thing, when I did a training with law enforcement, they talked about going to massage parlors, nail salons, hair salons, there should be the same number of certificates on the wall as there are people working. Those parlors require those certificates. So that's just, you know, walking in and be like, wait a minute, is there like 15 staff and only, you know, six certificates? What's going on? So little things we as a community, um, you know, like the young girl I mentioned at the Galleria Mall, a community member identified it because she couldn't speak for herself. She was trying to talk and they start, you know, the customer's just curious, where are you from? You have an accent. Immediately the guy gets right in front in between them and says, I'll speak for her now. Oh, you know, really? Yeah. You know, those um, are just big red flags right there. Yeah. Oh man, that's rough. Um, okay. So what, how do people, I'm, I'm sure the other way they can support you, can they, Obviously, people could donate to the cause, donate money. Can they donate time? Are there things that people can do? What kinds of things do, what, what, um, can people donate their time for? 
Yeah, you know, so to the front of financial support, actually right now, this is January is Human Trafficking Awareness. Um, it's National Slavery and Human Tra Trafficking Prevention Month. Um, and the 11th was Human Trafficking Awareness Day. So the month of January, one of the initiatives we started was sponsoring a survivor. So we have an opportunity where people can pay $83 a month or $1,000 for the year. And that sponsors one of the individuals we serve to get all the services we provide for the, for the month. So on our website, on our donate page, you'll see a box option to check if you want to sponsor. That's just one way you can make a big difference. Um, you know, would it cost to fill your gas for the month or whatever you can, even if you drink coffee every day, um, it really makes a huge difference to provide that type of support to ensure their programs. Um, and then volunteerism, we absolutely, we have 35 active volunteers. Uh, we couldn't run without them. Um, and it can be anything from they help with our meal support. We have a whole meal support team because we rely a lot on donations for the meals we offer our clients. Um, we, we package the meals and hand them to clients when they leave. Um, we have a team that will either offer the meal or help package the meal. We have drivers um, that we heavily vet and screen. We have um, people that help come just do like cleaning or sorting. We get a lot of clothing donations. Um, so people come help with that. Um, people who, you know, have some experience with children could help with caring for the children um, and also using people's skill sets. You know, if people come in, like retired teachers met with us and said, hey, we just retired. We're teachers. Can we tutor? I mean, things like that are fantastic. We have a fitness instructor that volunteers. We have an ESL instructor that volunteers. So, you know, really plugging people in where their gifts are um, and also areas we have of need. We do have a vetting process for that. The first could be going on our website and just emailing or calling us. Um, and then we do interviews, application, background, reference checks, and an orientation um, for people to volunteer. Spreading the word is also another way. Yeah, right? I was going to say, what about yeah. this? Yeah. yeah, so there will be, you know, we're updating our website. Hopefully it'll be done and in, in soon, but we're, you know, during whether we do a virtual or live, we want to start doing, getting back into awareness events, doing events where people can get engaged as a community and really start more community engagement outreach. Um, so we're looking at trying to potentially do that February 1st, but we will certainly be doing more throughout the year. Um, so that people can do outreach, invite friends, invite their community, invite us to speak. I mean, if somebody's right. listening and they're a part of a church or a business or a school or an organization or a college or work with you with their children, um, you know, work in some type of industry, invite us to come speak and we'll do virtual, we'll come in live, whatever is comfortable. Um, but we find that very important. Has, has a do you have a media partner? Uh, does local media help you out at all? Um, do, do uh, we, have... we do. We are, Neil Boron and WDCX have been great friends. Great. They actually, I was just on on Monday for Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Sure. He has on with some of our partners um, in law enforcement and in the prosecution's office, um, which was a great um, hour and a half interview he did. We also had a survivor, somebody we serve that nice. came spoke. Um, I believe they're playing it again on Saturday. Okay. So if people want to hear it, tune in DDC, WDCX. WDCX? Okay. Yeah, I believe Saturday morning. I'm sure um, they could check the WDCX website. I bet it's up there. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you right now. Anyone that's listening or watching that is in the media world in Western New York, I'm going to be calling you and asking you to somehow get involved here. So 
So there are a lot of media people and uh, good people. I, I have to give credit to to um, Channel Four. They Channel Four's done it uh, good. Last yeah. year they did a Remarkable Women contest, and okay. I was nominated as one of the top four finalists. Um, and so they did a beautiful story on our work um, in good. that. And so they, you know, we and we've had other news outlets do interviews here and there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, always the support of the community, support um, to spread the word and get more investment in what we're doing is key. And, you know, with COVID, like it's affected every nonprofit, yeah. you know, we couldn't do gala, we couldn't do live fundraisers. So, you know, we're reinventing the wheel as to how do we make up those costs and how do we bring in revenue again? And, um, you know, and the community has been beautiful with the foundations trying to support, but I would say everybody's taken a hit with that and it's affecting us. So, you know, businesses out there, people, churches are feeling led to give and looking for a way for their dollar to go towards oppressed people. I can guarantee that's what it'll do. Our overhead is is low and we really try to put it into the programs to really support the people we serve. Well, look, when I, I start reading it, I start thinking about, I mean, is there humanity anymore? I mean, where where is the humanity when I, when I realized that this was happening? But uh, you and uh, and your team, uh, your volunteers as well, uh, that gives me hope. Um, there is humanity in this world. And uh, I, for one, want to thank you and I appreciate what you guys are doing and trying to do. And uh, as far as, you know, we'll say getting the word out, uh, I want to do whatever I can and, and, and we will. And um, I think more people need to be aware, first of all, that actually trafficking really does exist and it exists right here, but there is an organization like yours um, that is uh, trying to, to help out and fight it, eliminate it, and then help those that have survived it, including their loved ones as well, because I know it affects not just them, it affects their whole family. So the name of the organization is PATH, that is People Against Trafficking of Humans, Julie Palmer, executive director and the founder of the Path Enrichment Center. Uh, if you out there want to get involved, uh, whether it's a donation or volunteer your time, or you want to read more about them, it's pathofwny.org. That's pathofwny.org. You can also go to the website. Uh, if you see something funny out there that you think needs to be investigated, you could also call them, area code 716 601-5678-716-601-5678. Julie Palmer from People Against Trafficking of Humans. Thanks for uh, for sharing with us. Thanks for making us much more aware of what's going on and, and thanks for what you're doing. Well, thank you. It's you know really people like you in the community that invest in us that help us do this work. So thank you. Again, that's Julie Palmer uh, from People Against Trafficking of Humans. Uh, that's PATH pathofwny.org, pathofwny.org. You can um, download uh, any of our uh, podcasts in the past. If you'd like, go to our website at shovelthesidewalk.com. You can, um, they're also on your uh, podcast, uh, uh, the uh, venue of choice, whatever platform you want to use. If you have a story that needs to be shared uh, or someone you know, you could also visit our website. There's a form, fill it out at shovelthesidewalk.com. And and uh, we will uh, get to you and, and, and get your story out there. 
So thanks again to Julie. Thank you again out there for listening, for watching, and this time for participating. Again, it's pathofwny.org. I'm Steve Fortunato, and this has been Sidewalk Talk. Thank you.